Look at the weather. It's beautiful here. Non-stop rain. Oh, man, it is a blazer out there. It's cold and it's shivery. It is cold. Really coming down here? I really enjoy your weather reports. From the All Indiana Podcast Network. We're talking weather in a whole new way. From historical events to what's coming up. Plus, weather news, science, safety, fun facts, and more. I like where this is going. This is Weather Weekly. Weather Weekly with Wish TV Storm Track 8 meteorologist Marcus Bailey. It is episode 74 of Weather Weekly. I always appreciate you guys tuning in, listening to this stuff, and hearing us talk about weather and geeking out over events and different aspects of weather and why, why weather is so fascinating, of course. And it is a fascinating thing, of course, but of course there's also the, the crazy stuff that happens with it, like yesterday, for instance. We'll talk about that here in the weather headlines. But first, uh, yeah, you're hearing a different voice today. Meteorologist Marcus Bailey it has the week off, and he had asked me yesterday if I would like to, of course, take the rain and help him out and do the podcast this week. And I absolutely was like, yes, I would love to, man. Uh, good, It's always great to be on this podcast first off and be able to talk to Marcus about all things weather and just have a great chat. He's been a good friend and colleague, co-worker of mine for years, of course, and Everyone else on the Storm Track 8 weather team is also amazing as well. But yeah, I'm going to go ahead and try to make this as exciting as possible and got some big shoes to fill in. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, we're going to go ahead and uh, get right into weather headlines, though. Of course, keep the format the same. Yeah, the, the headline going into this week, folks, has been the uh, scorching heat and humidity. I I'm feel like I'm using scorching lightly because, folks, today for Tuesday, and tomorrow for Wednesday, it's going to be absolutely stupid hot. Let's just put it that way. But, um, yeah, yesterday to start the new work week was quite active. We had a lot of heat, humidity build up along with um, some rather violent thunderstorm activity. Kind of break it down quickly here. Uh, I would say pretty much all of the state yesterday hit the 90s. Uh, Indianapolis, officially first 90-degree day of the year. We hit 91 yesterday. Our first a 90 degree day on average is around June 19th. So pretty much about on par with being average there. But we had a couple opportunities in last month, kind of came up short, finally did it. And unfortunately, we're really going to uptick temperatures today and tomorrow, of course. Uh, Forecasting 97 and 96. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, high stretch of weather in 10 years. I kind of break down some stats on that. Here in just a moment, but of course, talk about as well the thunderstorms yesterday. So, had some severe weather, mainly north of Interstate 70 from about 1 to 4.30 p.m.-ish, Eastern Daylight Time. Some severe thunderstorms through like Lebanon and whatnot. Uh, even reports of a potential wall cloud at one point. Then uh, like from 5 to 7.30-ish, like Rush, Decatur, Wayne, Union, Fayette Counties, Franklin, Dearborn Ripley kind of getting in on some severe thunderstorm activity as well. With a lot of heavy rainfall, might I add, and a lot of lightning. Oh, yeah. The lightning show, I'm sure, was intense for those who have seen it, who were able to see the storms yesterday. Quite a bit of lightning on radar, I'm thinking, goodness, I hope nobody's outside. Because, of course, when it's so hot like this, you build so much unstable air, and these storms can pack quite the punch with tons of lightning and whatnot, and especially lots of rainfall by itself, uh, just disregarding the winds and whatnot, heavier, stronger winds, I should say. But, um, yeah, we had some flooding issues in Hancock, Clinton counties, and then I got home around 6.30, and that's when I saw a rather concerning tornadic supercell closing in on Chicago. Yeah, Chicago, city of 2 million people. Um, Yeah, it looked concerning. Here's the thing, too, with the environment it was in, there was a tornado watch issued in a warm front and pretty much stalled out right by the area and that's not a good sign because a warm front can aid in directional shear directional shear like shear is basically a change in wind speed and direction with height the winds at the surface were backing out of the southeast and of course in the upper levels more out of the west so you had a lot of veering with height and that wasn't good um thankfully that supercell did not produce a tornado i believe don't know yet of course because um, post-storm analysis sometimes can reveal that there may have been a brief touchdowns and whatnot, but I'll tell you what, it packed a punch with wind. It produced wind gusts up to 84 miles per hour at the Chicago O'Hare Airport. 
Um, but the environment it was in, it I, I could tell it was definitely capable of producing significant tornado activity, which significant tornado, you're talking EF2+. Plus, and I don't say that, of course, to hype. I wasn't, you know, of course, telling that to my dad or my chat about it, my weather group chat that I'm in. But for hype, I knew the environment it was in was capable of doing some um, some serious stuff. But thankfully, it did not produce a tornado, most likely. Um, and then we had a line of thunderstorms kind of congeal in southern Michigan and northern Indiana. These things were mean looking. Uh, you had like really, um, essentially, life-threatening wind gusts up to 80 miles per hour through like Northwestern. Uh, you basically a lot of you last night in northern Indiana had your phones go off because of the the destructive severe thunderstorm warning tag, and that's something that was implemented back in early August last year when there's a severe thunderstorm warning with a destructive tag, an alert gets sent to your phone, and I think that's really good because a thunderstorm that produces wind gusts of eighty plus. And or baseball-sized hail can cause a ton of damage and, again, is life-threatening. You don't want to be outside or anything like that in that kind of storm. I mean, goodness. I mean, when it got to Fort Wayne, it was and it produced a wind gust of 98 miles per hour. The Automated Service Observing Station in Fort Wayne had recorded this wind gust, and I was just like, oh, my God. Lord, that's not good. I mean, we're talking a lot of uh, substantial wind damage in Fort Wayne from that. Heard like trees dead on cars and homes. Not good stuff at all. And like, entrapment with an overturned semi. Uh, thankfully, to this point, I have not heard of any fatalities. I hope it stays that way. Um, of course, everyone up there did tremendous work last night, coverage-wise and whatnot. Thankfully, here in Central Indiana, we basically were quiet, but woke up to a really uncomfortable start. I'll tell you what. These temperatures for the overnight, regardless, should be should be criminal, okay? Indy, for instance, this morning woke up on Tuesday. This is recorded this on Tuesday, of course. Tuesday, June 14th. This morning, our low, 78. That's a record warm low by 2 degrees. Yeah, uh, we should not be waking up feeling like we're at the bottom of the ocean, folks. I mean, come on. Come on, really? We, I mean, I know some of us would like to go on the porch... Enjoy some coffee, for instance, on the porch, or just stay outside for a minute. No, we have to feel like we're trying to not drown in an ocean or something like that or whatnot. And, oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, being outdoors today and tomorrow, yeah, you definitely want to limit your time doing that, of course. We talk about heat safety tips. Yeah, just stay hydrated. Just don't be trying to kill yourself outdoors. There's no need to do all that. And, of course, don't have your pets out there that long either, of course. Real quick, a couple of things though before we I kind of get into the uh, synopsis kind of of what the topic of this uh, podcast will be today. Uh, excessive heat warnings in effect for pretty much the entire state of Indiana. Yeah, if that doesn't put things into perspective, I don't know what will. Um, they pretty much go into effect, they're in effect basically now through uh, I think 9 p.m. tonight and then they are in effect again through much of tomorrow. So definitely stay safe and... Uh, yeah, just take it easy out there. Make sure you have some good AC flowing through your house and whatnot. Also, two quick stats with the heat. Also, to put things into perspective, last time Andy hit a high temperature of 95 degrees on the nose, May 28th, 2018. That was on Memorial Day. That was actually also the day after we tied for the second hottest Andy 500 on record. And last time we actually went over 95, you have to go all the way back to September of 2013. Nine years ago. So basically, nine to ten years ago is the last time we've seen the heat like this, like I was pretty much saying earlier in this podcast. I still can't wrap my head around this. When I start seeing extreme stuff like this coming our way, sometimes my brain can't always process it all the way, even when we're on the day of a said thing. But just how things go sometimes. But, yeah, it was kind of hard to uh, figure out a topic idea for this episode. kind of was... A lot of things were like swirling through my head about what I could talk about in general. But you know what? Got an interesting one for you guys. Uh, we're going to go way, way back. I'm talking the 1800s. I'm pretty sure this would be the oldest event we 
uh, that's been talked about on this podcast since we kind of roll through it. Uh, it's one that Marcus, I overheard Marcus talking about on the like introduction to June episode a couple episodes ago. But uh, yeah, we're going to go back to June of 1880 when a uh, local tornado event happened in central Indiana. That's next on Weather Weekly. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back to episode 74 of Weather Weekly. Going to go ahead and turn the back the clock a long way to an event that happened before the 1900s. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going back to June 14th, 1880. And also, also quick mention, if I have some time too, I'll also talk about Central Indiana's most recent tornado outbreak just to kind of give a quick perspective on how long it's been since Central Indiana has seen like a tornado outbreak in general, of at least with it being termed as eight tornadoes for an outbreak to be considered one. But might have time for that a little bit later in the podcast. But uh, yeah, this is a really intriguing one that uh, I recall Marcus saying that I might like to do an episode on. So I'll go ahead and uh, help him out with that one. And especially in an event like this, you kind of have to really dig deep for information that isn't quite easy to find especially on events like this that are not quite like this but events long ago that uh didn't that don't have a lot of details in them it's just hard to find uh articles uh like stats and whatnot on them but i got pretty lucky and found a few things including an intriguing article that was actually written a couple of days after this event so it's going to kind of go ahead and introduce the event overall so 142 years ago, oh yeah, quite a long time ago, it's hard to think about, of course, when talking about an event like this being way back in the day, um, five strong tornadoes strike central Indiana, killing at least 18 people. Uh, cattle are said to be killed in droves and orchards ruined. The German Lutheran church in Cicero is blown down and its bell carried 50 feet away. So quite a bit of damage with only five tornadoes only happening. And uh, kind of go ahead and talk about a couple of them kind of going into this. Uh, one of them was rated F4. Now, quick disclaimer, we weren't using a scale back then to rate tornadoes. Uh, it wasn't until the mid-1970s, of course, with Ted Fujita, which, he, of course, he invented the F scale. And that's when, of course, you can kind of go back in the past and be able to look at all these events and say, hey... It was an F this and whatnot, like F2, F3. Or this was an F5, um, whatnot. But with this event, though, this was, a, this was a not quite an outbreak. Of course, an outbreak, again, eight tornadoes at least need to have taken place for it to be considered a tornado outbreak. Just call it more of a local tornado event. But I'll tell you what, this was a very intense event uh, in general. One of the tornadoes was rated F4, which tracked through parts, parts of Shelby and Rush counties. The tornado moved from a mile south of Fountaintown to five miles north of Rushville. Fatalities occurred as seven farms were swept away, and it was rated at F4 level from two miles northwest of Morristown to four miles, nor- uh, four miles south of Carthage, not far from where we just had an EF1 uh, in the community of Arlington. That's far western Rush County I'm talking about. And, of course... Going on, of course, Tornado Archive Data Explorer. This is a tremendous website, seeing all kinds of different tornado tracks from long ago as well, along with the environment associated with them. Uh, they only, for whatever weird reason, only four of the tracks show up, but 
you know, it tells the tale. Uh, with there being, even though there were little tornadoes, they are all having some sort of intense capability with them. Of course, you had an F3 that tried through portions of Clinton County, south of Frankfurt. You had another F3 uh, in northwestern Franklin County. And probably the most notable, other notable tornado tracked through portions of Hamilton, the central Madison, uh, ripping through Cicero, Strawtown, and just ending just west of Anderson. That was rated an F3. So, uh, going to do something interesting, though. Read this intriguing article. Uh, with it being uh, written now a couple days after the event, of course, uh, it's going to be really interesting to kind of read through this for you guys because of the fact that, of course, the way that people talked and how they wrote back in the day, of course, is way different. The way they used the English language was a little different. Kind of feels like I'm being a history teacher. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but I think it's quite cool, though, uh, with the first-hand account, of course, of almost the immediate aftermath. Uh, this is genealogytrails.com uh, forward slash IND forward slash Hamilton forward slash disaster, disasters.html. Um, of course, the top of here it says Hamilton County, Indiana, disasters, storms, fires, etc. Uh, there are five specific events that occur from 1875 to 1880 in Hamilton County that are kind of talked about in terms of like the story of them. I'm not sure if this is a site that had that is like a uh, uh, kind of like a lost and found thing or whatnot. Um, I'm not sure. I personally do not know the answer to this question, but. I think it's really, really cool to be able to kind of read to you guys someone's perspective on the damage and kind of what happened in their thoughts. And I think it's also interesting, of course, you talk about terminology, they use the term cyclone. Tornadoes have a couple of different uh, words with them. Uh, tornadoes used to be called, uh, more often than not, they used to be called back in the day, people would also use cyclone, even the finger of God. I don't hear about that one too much, but um, there was something, I think, too, in terms of, like, tornadoes, in terms of, like, it's a punishment from something. I have no idea. Uh, I only briefly heard about it long ago when I was much younger, but here in this thing is called 18A Cyclone. So uh, this was typed or written out two days after the events. Of course, it happened on June 14th, and this was June 16th, 1880. War of the Winds, complete account of the cyclone on Monday, June 14, 1880. It strikes Cicero, Strawtown, and plowing its way through farms doing great damage. Signboards and debris of Cicero scattered around Strawtown. About 50 persons injured, several seriously. 55 houses and barns blown to atoms. Lost to property, lost to property will aggregate $150,000. Also, too, I'm not going to read the entire thing, but I'm going to read through a decent amount of it. The Republican is under obligations to T.D. Neal of Cicero for report of the cyclone at that place and vicinity, and to J.W. Crooks and J.C. Stevenson for our report at Strawtown and vicinity. By request, I will write you of the terrible cyclone which visited our village Monday last at 5.20 p.m. Those who were watching the heavens at about 5 o'clock noticed a light, dust-like cloud of cone shape rise in the southwest, and about the same time, another cloud rising in the northwest, similar to the one mentioned except as to color, it being dark, almost of an inky blackness. Now, one thing I want to mention, too, while reading this, the way that people describe what they feature, the features of an incoming tornado and storm in general they would call a tornado back then mainly a fog bank. And, I mean, it. when I would hear, like, read something about that, usually I'd be thinking of a basically a, a wall of darker cloud, basically, like, moving through, kind of like as, like, a almost like a rain or a tornado. I don't know. Some weird visual always comes to mind when I read a statement saying it was, like, a, a basically a, a fog bank moving through. But um, they came moving towards each other slowly, and when they came together, it was as if two mighty waves meeting. After the rebound, they joined and partook of a funnel shape with an auger-like motion and came tearing down upon us with the rapid rapidity of lightning. I believe right there he's talking about, it. from the sounds of it, this was a multi-vortex kind of scenario from the sounds of it. Um... Or, he's just talking about how 
the process of the rotation from the wall cloud started to further its process into a funnel cloud. Either way, some really interesting description of how they described it. Of course, back then, too, uh, very little was known about storms and tornadoes. Uh, it would be way, it would be decades later before we started to like identify supercells and stuff like that, and you know, say, oh, that's a supercell and whatnot on radar. And many things have changed, of course, since 1880. It's incredible how much we have, come, how far we've come since then. So basically, as soon as I saw the clouds, I started from my home, which I reached as the storm broke with all its fury. It lasted only a moment. As soon as I could quiet my little family, I started to see and lend a helping hand to those who were not so fortunate as myself. I knew that the storm had passed from northwest to southeast, so I went to the southeast portion of the town. The scene which met my eye was terrible. No pen can describe it. Now I will give the casualties of the storm as far as I can learn in its course from west to east. Now this part right here, I, I, I was um, kind of gazing through it earlier. Uh, the, the interesting thing with this article, too, he practically, with a lot of people, he kind of like just wrote down the kind of the general description of the person and damage and if they were injured or not. I'm going to kind of read through a couple of these. It's kind of like just to kind of go through a couple, not go through all of them. But like, for instance, one here was like Ingram Fletcher's farm west of Boxley is badly damaged. You got. Talking about vast amount of timber being destroyed for Alfred Johnson, uh, roof off bar, timber destroyed. Some people you beat are beat uh, Lewis Chu, barn badly injured. Um, see what we got here, orchard, another person badly injured. Quite a amount of timber destroyed. Timber greatly destroyed. Fences down. Sawmill destroyed. It's a really, it's a very interesting. First person uh, description and whatnot. I'm trying to find a white words for it because this is this is really interesting. Of course, I haven't. Seen, and by the way, this is the first time I'm really first time today in terms of like today that I've really have been able to kind of read through it full on. Basically, I've never seen this article before. In general. So we got. As well, barn totally destroyed. House unroofed, orchard destroyed. Of course, I talk about orchards basically being ruined. Uh, in town, uh, on top of Hill House belonging to Johnson Company, Indianapolis, totally wrecked. Roof off main building. Room known as the Mrs. Schraub storeroom and roof part of building twisted off across the street. Opposite kitchen of W.M. Smith removed a few feet from main building. On Jackson Street from west to east, shade trees are down or partly so. Front of W.M. Smith's tin shop blown off. Chair shop of Edson full of unfinished chairs blown down. Uh, here we go here. Uh, on Buckeye Street, southern portion or town, German Lutheran Church roof off bell badly broken. It's part about the German, German Lutheran Church. Of course, in Cicero. Uh... Let's see what we got here. Uh, roof off main building L in which the family were completely blown away. Two story building. Yeah, sounds like some really yeah some some significant damage. Of course. Uh. Yeah, the this is a what what it's just incredible how descriptive this article gets. Don't usually see stuff like this. Of course, these days with like. Yeah, it depends on though what ha like what happens though. But this is this is just incredible reading through this. I'm gonna kind of skip forward. Of course, there's quite a bit more of like more uh, accounts in terms of like of other people and what their situation was and what damage they had if they were injured or whatnot. Also uh, gave a summary of estimated losses with some people. Like for instance, some people lost five had five hundred dollars in damage, eighteen hundred dollars in damage. German church nine hundred dollars in today's um, U.S. dollars. That would be like this would be like ten times the amount or whatnot or something like that. It would be an incredibly large amount in today's time, of course. All right, near Strawtown, the cyclone after crossing the river struck in the woods of John Rooker, one mile this side of Strawtown on the White River gravel road, destroying timber fences. Ben Kaler house damaged, stable mashed by a falling tree. Uh, more 
descriptions with people as well, continuing as we go into the city of Strawtown, which is just off of State Road 37 and East 234th Street, just east of Cicero. Uh, let's see here. I'm trying to find any real inter like more interesting things I haven't quite mentioned in terms of like specific damage. Uh, ben Conway says blown down toll gate, blown down a 50 feet embankment, completely wrecked. Huh. Jim Cook's house off foundation, stable, unroofed, house blown entirely away. Hmm. Uh, Jim Flanders, all evergreens, all down, one house down. Horse killed. Of course, uh, mentioned cattle was killed in droves. Poor cattle. Um, storm seemed to have spent its destructive force with the exception of fences and timber until it reached Madison County, where the brick house on the Wise Farm was entirely destroyed, after which it continued its work of destruction, but of which we have no authentic account. Incidents. This kind of carries on with some of the um, some of the other people's accounts a little bit, but it seems like a kind of I kind of read through it. Uh, the buildings and of the Cicero Fairgrounds will be rebuilt, and fair will be held at stated time to give an idea of the force of the cyclone. We cite this fact: the house of Samuel Miller of Cicero was an old-fashioned frame, diagonally covered on the outside with inch oak lumber and weatherboarded and sealed inside with inch lumber, which was about as strong as a house could be made. I mean, back in the day, of course, things were built way differently. Um, it's, it's, it's insane to th think back then the material used for homes is just it, what was kind of like used. Um, this is why like looking back on stuff like this really piques my interest as well, because it's like how different was it back then, of course. A sill fully 30 feet long and 12 inches square was carried 100 feet. A colt belonging to Joe Petri was blown some 50 yards and was caught by Joe as it fell into the cellar. It was not injured. A mare was blown over on the over the cellar and was fatally injured. Uh, pieces of signs, a child's photograph, and other articles belonging to Cicero were carried at Straw Tenant vicinity, a distance of five miles. One thing to note, too, with more intense tornadoes, debris can be picked up and carried for dozens and dozens of miles, too. The heads of growing wheat are in many places blown off, and others, the grains, are all threshed out of the heads. At Perkinsville, the storm appeared in the form of two large white clouds, and when they met immediately above the river at Perkinsville, the water, cloud, the water could be seen dipped up by the clouds and dropped on the town. Three members, or... Mrs. Wells' family were blown out of the second story of the house. Goodness. One, a young lady found herself seated in an apple tree quite a distance from the house. The others were carried across the lot and landed in a wheat field. Three freight cars heavily loaded with lumber were lifted from a sidetrack at Cicero and carried several feet and sat down right in with care. 27 years ago, so basically, in 1857, this is this one. I, I saw this part as I was kind of reading it quickly through. I'm thinking, goodness, a cyclone visited White River Township about a quarter mile south of that on Monday last. The brick residence belonging to Old Johnny Wise was blown down at that time. It was rebuilt, and Monday storm laid it in ruins the second time. That reminds me a lot of cities such as like Moore, Oklahoma, and Tanner, Alabama, who have both both cities have been hit by um, multiple F five EF five tornadoes in the last fifty years, which is insane to think about. Um, an area being hit more than once by a tornado, it's just like wow, yeah, because usually. I don't know. It's it's that's kind of hard to think about at times. It's kind of like, man, that's that's just insane. But basically, uh, one field of wheat near Cicero has all the heads blown off. The straw remains standing. The cyclone drew a large volume of water up out of Cicero Creek 
carried it over the town and fair ground before it fell to the earth. It is said the water looked like a ball as it was carried along. At Cicero, the width of the cyclone did not exceed 40 rods. So, again, another interesting descriptive uh, note of the tornado itself. On tornadoarchive.com, the stats of this tornado was the path length was 27.1 miles. The path width was 200 yards. It says one fatality here. I was kind of looking through here like these three F3 tracks, they all say one fatality, but the F4 says four fatalities. Data's probably incomplete on here, but again, this is a tremendous website too to kind of look at historic tracks as well. I kind of wanted to see that just to see the other tornadoes. It's hard to find... It's almost virtually impossible, I think, to find a, a, a general map of the five tornado tracks from this day, of course, with it being um, way back when. But very interesting, very, very captivating. I wouldn't say captivating, but more of like a attention, very, very effective attention-grabbing first-hand account of the aftermath, pretty much. That was something. I'll tell you what, it's definitely one of the more... Uh, attention-grabbing articles on just anything in terms of weather I've read in my life. And I'm sure Marcus would have definitely been... Fa- I'm sure, of course, when he hears this as well, he'll definitely be a f- uh, he'll have been fascinated to hear that for sure. Uh, again, that was genealogy... Uh, tr- I think it was what? Genealogytrails.com. Yeah, that was really intriguing. But um, looks like I'll have some time, too, to kind of... Also, kind of fast forward much, much, much later in the future <laughs> to get to uh, since we're on a topic of like mid June events. I figure it's also interesting to kind of throw in Central Indiana's most recent tornado outbreak, and because tomorrow will mark three years since it happened, June fifteenth, twenty nineteen. I remember this day from front to back. I do. It was really, really insane. It was not a great day. By the end of the day, I will tell you that. Uh, not just because of the tornadoes themselves, but so it's. I think it's really. It's not. It's not like completely ridiculous that Indiana's had quite a bit of tornado history. You know, it's. The Midwest can definitely see some rather volatile events. Um, but Central Indiana hasn't had a tornado outbreak since mid-June 2019. And I feel like that's going to change soon. I mean, we're due for at least a smaller tornado outbreak every couple of years. It happens. It does happen. Um, but, of course, you know, only time's going to tell. Let's just keep hoping and praying that it just keeps on staying away, of course. Uh because a tornado course, we don't want to see any tornado damage anytime soon. Um, I mean, we've been catching up this year anyway. We've had 13 confirmed tornadoes in 2022 here in Indiana. We've been catching up for the lack of tornado activity the last two years from 2020 and 2021. But, um, yeah, to kind of give you some perspective on the most recent outbreak we've had here, around here, uh, June 15, 2019, you know, I... We were just coming off a really, really, really crazy May. I mean, I, I still can't wrap my mind around it. Um, I went storm chasing, actually, on the storm chase trip with Ball State. Of course, I'm a Ball State graduate, and I went on the storm chase trip as a class, and we went out for two weeks, and um, the second week started up what would become pretty much the longest duration 20-hour break in U.S. history from, like, May 17th to May 30th. That did include the Memorial Day tornadoes here in Indiana, too. We had, like, nine tornadoes in Indiana. The strongest was an EF3 near Montpelier um, in southern Wells County. But a couple weeks after that, uh, Saturday, June 15th, we had a a slight risk. That's a level 2 to 5 on the uh, Storm Prediction Center severe risk scale. And... From about Interstate 70 South to, I want to say, around US 50 or so, there was a 5% tornado threat. Now, the tornado threat levels are 2%, 5%, 10, 15, 30, 45, and then the very, very elusive 60%. We've only had 60 twice in history. The other one, the other time, the last time we had that, I think, was in 2012, but... Uh, 5%, meaning, of course, there could be some isolated tornado activity possible. 
What was weird about June fifteenth was I recall, I recall it being pretty cloudy. I knew we were going to have rain most likely. I knew we were going to most likely have some thunderstorms. Uh, Indianapolis was kind of on the edge of the slight risk. And as a matter of fact, this is something I should have done beforehand. But uh, since I have some time to talk about it, I'll quickly go ahead and kind of look up the SPC outlook from that day. So as I'm typing that out, I'll keep talking about the event. Now, I pulled up the event article from the National Weather Service in Indianapolis. which was quite the summary on this as well. So, Central Indiana saw severe weather and flooding. Yay, everyone. Yeah, or not yay, everyone, but I was going to say, uh, yay, flooding. Great times. Oh, Lord. Every time flooding happens, I get pretty concerned because my basement is very prone to flooding. Uh, from June 15th to 17th, uh, the flooding the flooding threat continued into the 17th. That's why it says June 15th, 17th, but the tornadoes themselves were on the 15th. A warm front brought severe storms, tornadoes, and heavy rain on June 15th. The stalled front and upper waves brought more heavy rain and some severe storms on June 16th, 17th. I don't really remember that. I just remember it was wet. The repeated rounds of heavy rain caused flooding across the area. A significant tornado outbreak that was the largest since November, November 17th, 2013. Hmm. I didn't think about it like that, but it makes sense when you think about it, because up to that point, I mean, even then, too, we had the August 24, 2016 outbreak. That was significant in its own self. Of course, Kokomo tornado happened on that, that day, too. Seven tornadoes occurred in central Indiana, and an additional three tornadoes across portions of eastern Indiana. And, of course, now I got the outlooks loaded up here so in the morning there was a slight risk from mainly what does it look like Rensselaer south from Kokomo south uh there was a the, the tornado threat in the morning this in the um 7 a.m update was two percent for basically the southern two-thirds of the state Indy, of course was about square in that and it extended west into illinois by 12 30 we had a 5% outline from roughly Lafayette through Indy South towards Washington, Indiana, down towards Interstate 64. And the risk never the risk never got upgraded. Of course, there was some uncertainty. Of course, we had a lot of cloud cover, but but there's that but, you know. <laughs> oh goodness. You know, and this is how it does go sometimes. We had kind of that wild card, I guess you can say, thing happen, so-and-so. But we had not one, but two MCVs pushed through into the state. An MCV, and we have talked about this before, but it's been a while. An MCV is basically what stands for as mesoconvective vortex. And what it does, is it adds rotation, it's basically localized enhanced rotation, meaning that Wherever it goes, say if it slides into Indiana, it'll enhance rotation in parts of Indiana, per se. Per se. And MCVs have caused a boatload of trouble before. I.E. <laughs> I.E. Sound like a robot. For example, August 24, 2016. Well, we had two MCVs push in. I remember seeing that. Didn't think too much of it. I should have been smarter than that. I should have. I remember a tornado watch got issued from Indy South at around noon, 1 o'clock. I remember it being about 90% cloudy that day. I hardly had sun in Indy. More sun was happening south, for sure. Um, the warm front had kind of stalled out, I think, just north of Indy. Um, I remember my dad and I had plans to go to the Italian Festival. We just had the Italian Festival recently as well. Went to that. That was fun. Great food, by the way. If you ever get the chance to go... Please go. It's right off Virginia Avenue, right off East Street and whatnot. Great, great food. Great stuff. Great atmosphere. But the plan was to go to the Italian Festival. Me and my dad did, along with one of my dad's friends as well. Or should I say our friends. And again, I wasn't thinking too much about the threat because I was kind of thinking, well, it's cloudy and I don't think much is happening and whatnot. Silly me, I should have thought, I should have known better. I wasn't looking at much. I was kind of, you know, on summer, on summer break. My last semester of college was coming up not later down the line. I'm trying to enjoy summer. Saturday, having a good day, whatnot. 
very humid. It was very humid. I remember by 5 o'clock, we were going to the festival at 5.30. This is when a load of showers and thunderstorms developed basically north and west of the area. And I remember telling my dad, I said, hey, I don't know if we're going to have much time to be here because there's a very good downpour coming. And he was like, oh, don't worry, we'll be fine and what. And I'm kind of like, Dad, I'm not sure if we really are going to be able to be here that long. Well, of course, we went. And we did not stay there very long. It was only probably 20 minutes at most. And um, as we were walking back to our car, it started to rain so hard. I mean, the downpour was coming. I mean, the downpour had already made it to us. We didn't get too soaked. We had just gotten into the car as soon as it really started to get going. The crazy thing is, as soon as we got home, uh, that's when the first set of tornadoes started to happen. We had a couple of rogue supercells start forming uh, in like Owen County and whatnot. This was when the first tornado happened. EF1, high-end EF1, by the way, on the ground for eight miles. And then this is where things got out of control, things got out of control kind of quickly. I remember... I think it was during the Ellisville tornado. This was almost rated EF3. It was high end EF2. Short-lived but strong tornado. And I remember, I think it was with this tornado or the next one that happened in Greene County. I can't remember. But I remember seeing an EAS alert going off on TV, a tornado warning. And it said a tornado-producing storm was... I think it was the, I think it was this one located near Ellisville. Uh, it said, Tornadic debris has been confirmed by radar. I'm just thinking, uh-oh. And I mean, yeah, it was getting down quickly. Uh, how fast it started happening, was that's what kind of the crazy thing was about this. Everything took off in a matter of 30 minutes to an hour. Like Within like 30 minutes, when these storms started to really get going, it didn't take long at all. Now, I will say this. There was a cell I was watching along Interstate 70 traversing up towards Indy eventually. It had a little bit of rotation to it. It eventually got caught up with some other storms into a line. I will be coming back to that in just a moment. Um, yeah, there's good reason. Trust me. Next tornado happened near Colleen, almost, also almost in EF3. It was a quarter mile wide. Quarter miles big, folks. Um, quarter miles big, I'll tell you that. 130 mile per hour peak winds, just like Ellettsville. Was on the ground for only three and a half miles, but still enough to do damage. Uh, that'll be in Greene County, by the way. Greene County. Alrighty. This is where. <laughs> I wouldn't say this is where the fun began, but it was a party that you probably wouldn't have wanted to go to or whatnot. I don't know. However you want to put it. So, get this. It's getting closer to 7.30. I decided to take the opportunity to go Facebook Live. Of course, I'm building up, trying to build up like some stuff, of course, with... I was like, you know what? This is a great opportunity to build some severe weather coverage on my own. So I got my dad's phone, and I went Facebook Live on my phone. My dad's outside cooking on the front porch. It's pouring like there's no tomorrow. Rain. It's raining very, very hard. I didn't realize the amount of rain we were getting until later that night. Um, I should have been realizing it, but it was getting close to 725, about 20 minutes into my Facebook live video, uh, power started to flicker, I noticed it, it quickly went black and then back on, I'm thinking, that's strange, something's happening, it happened two to three more times, around the time it happened again, it hit, like after I think the fourth time it happened or something like that, this was when there was an EF1 tornado on in Beach Grove, and I am pretty sure my power was flicking because of this tornado. Yeah, scary. We're we're cooking on the front porch, and we got a tornado happening just to our south by a couple miles. Go figure. Not smart. Well, here's the thing too. We were under a severe thunderstorm warning, eventually. It said tornado possible tag on it, because there was some rotation, but not enough. The tornado happened during that severe thunderstorm warning, and I remember saying, oh, look at this. I'm like, Dad, we better watch this. And the hook was coming really close. 
it was not more than like three miles south of my place. It was getting a little scary. I'm not going to lie. I was getting a little nervous. But all in all, EF1 in Beach Grove did some damage there. A second tornado touchdown in Beach Grove as well uh, along East Raymond and Brookville Road. Not long after that, 10 minutes later, brief touchdown. Another brief touchdown in Brown County, of course. And then you had another uh, brief tornado uh, southwest of Columbus and Bartholomew County. Another brief tornado in Decatur County. And then you had a strong tornado near Rushville, almost, also almost EF3. We had a couple of tornadoes almost reach EF3 criteria. That's that's um, that's something else. But um, remember seeing images of that tornado. It was kind of a larger tornado, but it said maximum of 200 yards. So, yeah, on top of the 10 tornadoes, we had a load of rainfall happening. By the time we got done with June 15th, we had 3.85 inches of rain in Indianapolis, which, by the way, set a daily rain record for that. So June 15th was really, really chaotic. I It was just... And it, it didn't end there, really. I mean, it, it ended up getting to the point where our basement was wet for a week. It was not fun. We had to open our doors constantly, leave them open. And it was just not good. It was not fun at all. Um, but, yeah, June 15, 2019. Here's an interesting thing about that, too. Uh, the environment... It was interesting enough. Like I talked about the two MCVs, you had a weak trough moving through. It was a high shear, low cape, which is what's typical for central Indiana. It kept convection to a minimum around until around 5 o'clock, of course, and when there was just enough cape there, it's there to rapidly increase storm coverage and, and uh, storms coverage and severity. Low cloud heights, which helped with uh, the tornadoes being able to touch down easier. We had like a thousand to fifteen hundred joules kilogram cape, which is the measurement. Joules kilogram is the measurement used for cape, which was just enough with the higher shear in place. Um, it was ideal for creating the shear profile was ideal for creating numerous rotating thunderstorms. Um, you know what's also interesting though. The significant tornado parameter was not quite as impressive and was kept fairly low due to the low Cape environment. Had Cape values been closer to 2,000 to 3,000, a much more intense outbreak would have occurred. So, in hindsight, we got a little lucky. I wouldn't say a little lucky with that, but we definitely could have had it worse in this day. And I find it, it's, I wouldn't say it's abnormal that we haven't had a a tornado outbreak of any magnitude in a couple years. I mean, like I said, I expect one in our state at least once every couple years. That's been kind of the trend I've been seeing. I mean, we had 2013, 2016. Uh, we, had two we had two in 2019, which is definitely more rare for sure. Um, 2011, April 19th, one of the busiest tornado days in state history. Yeah, definitely, definitely something, it's it's kind of wild to look back at that day. That was a really crazy day. Um, but, yeah, that's why I've wanted to talk about it because, of course, just kind of doing both ends of the spectrum, talk about a really old, very interesting event, and then kind of going to the other end of the spectrum with a much, much more recent, like, basically the most recent event, like, of such, of such caliber in general. But, that yeah, was really cool to talk about with this stuff, and... I thought picking these two topics was a great idea for sure. I could have done all kinds of different stuff. But, um, yeah, we're going to have definitely some very, very cool podcast episodes over the next few weeks, of course, really uh, breaking down different, very uh, very unique events. I'm pretty sure there will be one Marcus will do with you guys on the derecho that happened on June 29, 2012. That one was just – there's an adjective that has not been invented to describe that day in general with that – with that line of storms, um, but yeah, that would conclude with this, with these, uh, with the overall topic of this episode. When we come back, we're going to do a uh, look at your local forecasts, of course, with the upcoming general pattern as well, right here on Weather Weekly. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back. We're going to go ahead and close things up by talking about the extended local forecast and what could be coming beyond this week. So, of course... Still talking to dangerous heat, humidity, near record height, or basically should I say record high temperatures possible tomorrow. Highs in the mid-upper 90s. We're going 96, of course, here in Indy, and the humidity really sticking around as well for Thursday. Thursday, kind of that transition point uh, from getting away from that heat, still pretty high on Thursday. Going to go 94 for Indy on Thursday with surrounding locations, low to mid-90s. Uh, isolated scattered thunderstorms possible. Uh, severe weather not expected at this time as well. And of course, we gradually work in the return of the 80s. We're going 90 in the work week, but a little less humid. Uh, this weekend, not too bad. Basically, kind of your average uh, midsummer weather. Highs in the mid-80s, lower humidity. Of course, Father's Day coming up. Hopefully, you guys got some great plans for Father's Day, of course. 86 right now we're going for on Sunday with lower humidity, but then singles pointing towards the uh, dangerous heat humidity returning by the, especially by the middle of next week. I'm seeing uh, outlooks calling for even a, there's even excessive risk, moderate excessive risk for, uh, should I say a moderate risk for excessive heat by the middle of next week. So we're going to have to see how this kind of evolves going to then. But uh, yeah, thank you guys for tuning in this episode of Weather Weekly. Always appreciate your time tuning in listening to us geek out over the weather we always appreciate talking about this and giving you guys a new perspective on different things all weather all weather and uh, just learning something taking away something from this stuff uh, for those who want to follow me on social media on facebook i have a facebook page steven deanna wx i have a v in my first name on twitter i am uh, you can follow me at steven deanna wx there are no spaces in that and then on instagram uh, Stephen D underscore WX ninety eight, and uh, be able to be sure to check out all the other podcasts on this amazing podcast overall. Uh, if you want to email Marcus any ideas on future episodes, you can just email him at Marcus Bailey at wishtv Well, that wraps us up for this episode of Weather Weekly. Again, thank you guys so much for listening. Hope you guys have a great rest of your your week. And uh, take care, everyone. Stay safe in this heat, humidity, and uh, we'll get towards some relief by the upcoming weekend. Take care, everyone. Discover more. Discover more from StormTrack 8 Weather and Wish TV. Online at wishtv.com and when you follow Wish TV on Facebook. Plus, be sure to check out more great podcasts from the All Indiana Podcast Network now. Now at allindianapodcastnetwork.com.